You're listening to Blind Entrepreneurship, an interview series podcast that highlights the stories of the top business professionals around the world. In each episode, we explore how entrepreneurs overcame blindness in business in order to execute their vision. Brought to you by Penji. I'm your host, Jonathan Grzbowski, and today we have Rich Miller on the show. Rich served as CEO and President of Virtual Health until December 31st, 2017, after leading the organization for over 21 years, where he then retired. Rich has led the way for Virtua to transition from a group of community hospitals into a highly respected regional healthcare provider, and mind you, one of the largest on the East Coast. He served as chairman of March of Dimes. He served as chairman on the Arthritis Association. And if I were to list out all of his accomplishments and awards, we'd be here for another hour. It's absolutely incredible. And I couldn't think of a better person to talk about leadership and company culture than Rich. After talking to Rich for over an hour, talking about life, business, faith, family, you really get an idea of what it takes to be a leader and why Virtua made the right decision to bring Rich on as their CEO over 20 years ago. A few takeaways from the conversation is when we talked about how one day Rich had his head down while walking around the office. There wasn't a particular reason as to why his head was down, but one of his employees came up to him and asked him if everything was okay. For me, that was a gut check and a realization that no matter what mood you're in, you have to perform at the highest level possible. That one misstep can lead others to feeling insecure about their job, or you may pass that energy on to others within your executive team. Everyone needs to have that comfort and full confidence knowing that the leader is okay. Another takeaway was a conversation that didn't actually air, but I felt the need to share it anyways. I recorded this in a conference room, and being an Apple user, you tend to forget the dongle that you always need for your microphone and that inevitably connects to your computer. So I went up and I grabbed the dongle and it took about four minutes in total for me to to obtain the dongle and come back down and when I came back down I noticed in the conference room that Rich was just sitting there he was quiet he was patient he was poised he was enjoying the moment by himself he wasn't on his phone he was just there and Sometimes we get so hung up on social media and it was just inspiring to be able to see a man of his character being able to just be present. Thank you, Rich, for this awesome interview. I hope you all enjoy it as much as I did. Today's episode is sponsored by Penji. Are you in charge of marketing for your business and need graphic design support? Let Penji design anything you need for your business, from a logo to your marketing materials, sales sheets, social media content, and so much more. Penji helps you achieve more with unlimited graphic design support, daily output, and a dedicated project manager, all at one flat monthly rate. We have an exclusive offer to the Blind Entrepreneur community. Head over to penji.co and use the coupon code BLIND for 15% off your first month. Again, that's penji.co, P-E-N-J-I dot C-O, and use the coupon code BLIND for 15% off your first month of Penji. And now, let's get to today's episode. Hey, Rich, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for being here. We are doing this interview live in person in the beautiful city of Camden, New Jersey. 
Uh, before we get into the episode, we have to lay the foundation as to why you're the most qualified to talk today about healthcare and even company culture. Well, thanks for having me, first of all, Jonathan. I appreciate it. Um, uh, company culture and, and healthcare is my field. So I've been in this field for over 30 years, close to 40 years, in fact. Uh, and uh, run a major health system here in South Jersey, Virtua, for as a CEO for 22 years. And when people ask me uh, what are you most proud of uh, in, in 22 years of growing a health system from a $400 million enterprise to a $1.3 billion enterprise, uh, is it a building of a hospital? Is it, is it building a physician group? Is it building surgery centers? My answer is no, it's building a mm. culture of great people of 10,000 people that work with me at Virtua uh, and building a, a, a secure place and a great work environment for people to come to work every day. So if, if you ask me, and people have asked me that post-retirement, that's what I will say. Very cool. That's a great answer. Well, I'd, uh, the, the reason why you're here today is part curiosity and part anecdotal story. Um, so I just want to say that it's an honor to have you and, and just your, your, what you bring to the table. And I'm not sure if you remember this, but when I first started uh, my first business, it was probably about four or five years ago, uh, I was labeled as the young millennial entrepreneur, like the guy that everybody wanted to pick their brain sure. uh, because I was the millennial yeah. in the group. And you were being honored at an event in Burlington County Chamber of Commerce. And... I remember uh, having an opportunity to sit at the table, where at the same table that you were being honored at. Yeah, okay. I remember. And yeah. I remember sitting next to you specifically just so I could talk to you <laughs> and hopefully one day be your friend. I remember that. So, so now here we are coming full circle. Yeah. Um, but you know, I, I can say you made it a little bit difficult for to find information like dirty information uh, about you because everything about you on the internet is so clean. So, um, so yeah, so it's safe to say that you had an absolutely incredible career. However, I want to start by this quote: um, "Rich's reputation as a pioneer in healthcare, combined with his highly regarded passion for culture, represents a tremendous asset for our firm." And that was by David Friedman said in a statement. And so how did you get to where you are today as, a, as now labeled as a pioneer in the healthcare industry? Well, I, I think, and, and I don't want to belabor this too long, but um, I, I think my feeling for people in general go back to when I was uh, closer to your age, Jonathan, I was 21. I was a senior in, at Mount St. Mary's University in Maryland, and I was in a terrible automobile accident. Mm -hmm. So... Um, I, I actually was, um, I fell asleep at the wheel of my Volkswagen Beetle and hit a bridge abutment and um, actually um, went through healthcare. Uh, I was flown to the University of Maryland shock trauma unit. I had total renal failure and I was on a ventilator um, hmm. and basically wasn't supposed to get through that. It was a very difficult time. And I, I did come through it uh, through the other side and uh, uh, through some great health professionals, and uh, I'm a faithful guy, so you know, God helped me realize that I had a future, and that was part of my life, and and, and part of what I think uh, sustained me in that period of time. Uh, so, um, 
you know, I had at that time, uh, I was addicted to Percocet through the accident. Uh, the opioid addiction crisis today is a big one. Mm -hmm. It's real. Uh, and I had to come through that piece of it too at age 21. So as I started my life, down the path of my life, my career actually started as a volunteer at Betty Bacharach Home for Children in Longport, New Jersey. And I was blessed to be there because these were children that had many, many physical issues in their life, whether it was cystic fibrosis or other types of disease. Um, but you wouldn't know it from seeing these kids every day. They were happy. They were smiling. I felt sorry for myself post-accident, mm. but these kids didn't. So it kind of launched me into a different mindset of, you know, um, building a career, building a family, um, and, but also realizing that it's bigger than career. Mm. Life is bigger than career. I was given an opportunity to survive a terrible ordeal, uh, and it was time to give back. So as I grew in my career, my, it was always about people around me. And I got to enjoy the simpler things in life when you go through that. You know, when you're on dialysis, a glass of water is important. You know, when you're walking around and, and on a cane uh, and you're outside. Uh, we joked earlier about uh, young people today with headphones in their ears yes. all the time. Yep. You know, not me, because I, I look at nature and things around me. And, and when you don't have that and you're in a shock trauma unit that's totally um, cordoned off from society, you realize that. You know, this is important stuff, and it's a blessing to be outside. So I learned at a young age, at 21, that life took on a different meaning for me. And I had different challenges ahead of me. And when I, um, when I, when I did well, that I would share that with others. And, and I always tell people in life, when you do well, uh, and there's nothing wrong with doing well, it's, it's how you give back is the important part of doing well. So that's my mantra in life, and I and I did it with my employees, and I mm -hmm. and I do it generally speaking in charity in life. It's important. That's amazing, and I, I want to highlight your career briefly um, because I think it's such an important part. And so, 20 years ago, you became the CEO of Virtua. Um, what was it like? What was going through your mind when you initially got the job uh, as CEO of the? I think you said for, at the time it was 400 million. Four, about 400 million. 400 million now, it's 1.3 billion. Yeah, which is huge. So, yeah. like, you go through your mind, like, what was, like, you, did you get a call? Uh, did you, did you get an, I don't know, an email? I don't know. That's a great question, Jonathan, because I can remember back in 1995, at that, at that time, I, I took over as the CEO of West Jersey Health System. Mm -hmm. So, we did, we did the merger with West Jersey Health System and Memorial Hospital, Burlington County in 97. So I started as the CEO of, um, of West Jersey, whose headquarters was right here in Camden. And I remember that. I was 42 years old, a young guy, a very young for a CEO to take over. Yeah. Uh, Especially I was, I was scared that, to death. Exactly. You know the sure. truth? Yeah. I mean, I'm sitting there thinking, how am I going to do this job? How am I going to care for this number of people uh, that are healthcare providers? But how am I going to do it well? So my initial reaction in, a, in that leadership role was to try to do everything. Mm -hmm. I, was, I was rolling up the sleeves, uh, late hours, you know, hands on. I wanted to make sure I was doing the right things. And I was overcompensating as a leader because you can't do all things. So eventually, I learned the key to success was building a good team around you of leadership that you can count on to carry the day-to-day -day stuff out. 
so that you can lead the organization mm -hmm. and, and you're visible in your organization. But at the early stages of that, Jonathan, it, it was a little scary for me. And, and I honestly, I was feeling my way through as a leader. I really yeah. was. It was, it was, it was a very difficult trying time for me at that point. When you say, when you say uh, feeling, you, you mean along the lines of you were just trial, trial by error? Yeah. Trial yeah. I mean, fire. sometimes I would just, I would, I would overcomplicate things by mm. just doing too much versus yeah. less. Sometimes okay. less is better in a leadership role in terms of hands-on work. So, the so expand key, on the, that a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. So the key, the, the key I learned over time, um, I'm a lot smarter today because I learned over time <laughs> that, that y your people are the most important asset you have. Absolutely. And if you're not spending time with your employees and, and you're out in the field talking to your employees, getting the pulse of the organization, uh, that should be 60-65% of a leader's job is their people and feeling out the organization. So I eventually learned that I needed to get out to my nursing units, I needed to get out to my hospitals, my outpatient centers, and talk to employees. So I, I would go in and uh, I actually did a 12-hour shift with a nurse uh, one day just to see, you know, uh, uh, she still works at Virtua, terrific That's awesome. lady. and and to see how it was. You know, how does a 12-hour shift work? How does this person do it? So she let me help her uh, in a lot of ways on the floor, and I realized maybe there's a shortage of technology on the floor. Maybe we need, there's not enough help on the floor. And I got the sense through a 12-hour shift what an RN goes through, and, hmm. and that was important. I also did our mobile intensive care unit ride in the city of Camden, which was fascinating because I wanted to see how our paramedics functioned in the city of Camden, uh, and I did a ride with them overnight one night, mm. and it was our two paramedics. Um, and um, I remember when I when I came down to get ready to go with them, they threw the bulletproof vest at me. Then I then I said to myself, "Where am I going?" Yeah, you know, I yeah. I'm going. But you know, it was it was a fascinating learning experience That's for cool. me, where we we actually were at a drug overdose. We were at. Uh, diabetic uh, uh, insulin overdose. Uh, uh, we were at uh, a shooting that night, um, uh, and um, it, it, watching my that was medics, a busy night. <laughs> busy night. Yeah. Well, that's not unusual, Camden. I busy it. night. But how caring the medics were, and how they cared for patients, and you also saw the struggles of of a city. You, you actually saw, you know, in many cases where where people were struggling mightily in the housing area and other areas. So it gave me a real insight into the inside of, a, of, a, of an inner city. And I, I found that to be fascinating. But it also taught me a lot about how hard our medics work and how difficult it is in the field. Absolutely. Um, I remember going up and we had a drug overdose in an apartment building. And uh, one of the medics, Nyla, said to me, uh, I said to Nyla, I'll wait in the car for you. She said, you're not waiting anywhere uh, in the car. And I remember it was like a movie, walking up the steps of this apartment building, mm -hmm. complete dark, mm. no light. So Nyla turns around and says to me, you know, stay right on my hip. And I said, I'm surgically attached to you right now because yeah, I'm scared to death. But what a learning experience for me to understand what our people go through. So living through their eyes and working with them and getting out in the field that is that to me taught me a lot about how to be a leader and not not focus on all the little nitty-gritty details of the job because 
those those are your senior staff and people around you are good good people. They're going to take care of that. You lead and you lead your people. Now, do you think that applies to smaller businesses? Like they, cause, because the way I see it is, and I'll give you like an example for us. We're a, a relatively small team in comparison yeah. to, to you, uh, to what you lived through. And so do you think the same approach applies? And, and what are some businesses missing when it comes to that company culture aspect? Right. Um, is it the same? Can you apply the same things? Is it completely different? No, you apply. In my opinion, you apply the same thing, small or large, Jonathan. And I think it's important. People know when you're real about caring. People really get it. But when we had the 2008 economic downturn, we had a lot of single mom nurses working for us that you know had to take care of their children, and they were struggling meeting mortgages and 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 uh, utility payments for where they lived and. You know, I decided to start a CARES fund for them where senior management and management in general would contribute into the fund mm. and that we, therefore we could go hand give money to our team that was really struggling out there. They could apply for a grant, you know, and, and we would make sure they were taken care of. If a employee had a house fire, you know, we would make sure they get a grant to get back on their feet. It's important that, and what people, what you, what you build in a culture that way is people can't wait to get to work the next day because you've built a family culture. You've built mm -hmm. a culture where people say they care about me. They really care about me. And 99.9% .9 of the people that work for you are great people. They really are. I mean, you get one-tenth of 1% but that aren't so great. But the lion's share of people that work for you are terrific. And, and if you treat them really well as great people, um, they'll go through a brick wall for you. You, mm -hmm. you find that to be the case. So... When you're building a company, whether it's 30 people, 20 people, treat them all. The, treat treat people with respect and dignity, and care about them. Mm -hmm. So, it, you know, what's their family doing? What? How can you help them? What kind of things can you do to make their life a little bit easier personally, uh, off the job? You know, take a personal interest in them as a person. You'll find that your company will grow exponentially because if it's about people, it's not about you know you'll make. You'll make your money. Now, you could beat people to death and still make money in the short term. In the long term, that's a failed strategy, in my opinion. Mm. You want a company for the long term and you want to build a great company and, and you want to sit where I'm sitting someday retired mm -hmm. and you want to look back, you know, it's not the, it's not the things you built or the, or the work you did. It's what you left behind. Mm -hmm. so, what, so you want to decide what you leave behind. You mentioned prior to starting this conversation about... Uh, like these steps that you've created, I think it was like ten steps. Mm -hmm. yeah. I don't know if you if you want to necessarily get into all that, but I think you know something that could be important is just like highlighting briefly, like what are some things that people should be should consider. Yeah, I mean, I can about. give you a few, Jonathan, yeah, sure. and just just to kind of tell you because you won't find these mostly in a textbook. Um, and one of the ones I talked about, which is my number nine step, is it's all about people. Mm -hmm. uh, and I, I already mentioned that. The other thing is, and I mentioned this is in one of my steps, is be the same person at home and at work. Mm, you know, like it, 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 being the real person you are. Uh, and I used to bring, sometimes bring my wife to some of the management meetings just for her to sit there so people could meet her, mm -hmm. uh, understand who she is and understand who we are as a family. Mm -hmm. uh, I'd often talk about my kids and, and my grandkids, you know, when I had grandkids. 
So people get a sense of who you are beyond the work site, I think is important. Um, I also stated another, uh, uh, another uh, leadership tip was, uh, man, there's going to be great days and there's going to be days that nothing goes right as a yeah. leader. And I tell people that all the time. Don't, don't get on this roller coaster of highs and lows as a leader because people see it. I remember in my younger days as a leader, I was walking through my cafeteria in Camden and I must have had my head down. So somebody comes over to me a little later and says, hey, Rich, everything okay? And I said, yeah, everything's fine. Why? She said, well, you had your head down. We were worried. Mm. As a leader, you're on stage mm-hmm. every day. People watch you. And, and you don't want people thinking, is he in a good mood? Is he in a bad mood? You want to be consistent in your approach to every day. And, and keep the highs and lows you know, to a minimum. You really have to do that. You really have to focus on that. Uh, I, I want to just, uh, interject yeah. for a second. Um, how do you even do that? How do you how do you get into the right mental state to be able to just be like all rainbow not rainbows and unicorns but at, at the very least just like focus that you have to have your head up or focus that you have to have a smile even you, when you don't want to smile on it, the inside yeah there's there's you're right Jonathan there's days you don't you don't feel optimal all of us have those days but you really owe your people to, when you go into work your best. I really believe that. And you really got to some days push yourself to get there. It's not going to be easy every day. Uh, some days are easier than others. And, and like I said, some days everything seems to be going wrong. Uh, you know, So the key is to remember, stay level and force yourself into that condition that I'm going to see my 30 employees or my 10,000 employees today. How do I want them to view me? How do I want them to see me? Mm-hmm. How do I support them? And if my head's down and I'm not smiling and I'm upset, people, as a leader, people will back away. They, they, won't, they won't come to you. And one thing I was always proud of as a leader, if I was walking my nursing floors or, or my hospital floors, people would always approach me. Always. I was always approachable. So be approachable. And, and I think you really have to condition yourself in a way when you get up in the morning to do that. Very yeah. important. Because you're going to wake up some mornings, and I've done it, where it's not optimal, and you say, oh, man, what's today going to be like? And yeah. then you get yourself in a mindset that's positive as much as you can. Whatever puts you in that positive mindset, do for yourself. Yeah. And, and one of the leadership tips here is quiet time and putting yourself in a mindset. I always did that. You know, For me, it was more about prayer and, and self-reflection. But for everybody, anybody, it could be just some, take some time for yourself so that you're in a frame of mind that's positive. Because you need to take care of yourself first, yeah. and then others will that will follow with others. So whatever you have to do to make yourself feel better uh, and do better, do it. Was that always the case? Were you always like this? Uh, this like frame of mind, this mindset of no, like, I or say. was it before? Do you think you were like that before you were CEO of of Virtua, or do you think during your time at Virtua? is where you really started to develop this, this, this process for yourself. I, I would say, Jonathan, I, I was always a positive person, but, I, but these are learned experiences over time. Gotcha, yeah. And, and like we're having this conversation today, you know, you learn from employees. Because mm-hmm. somebody will say something to you or you'll realize that that wasn't the right thing to do. You make a lot of errors and, and mistakes along the way. And then you have to learn from those things. And you learn from other people around you how they do things, you know. So, 
you know, it, the key is where, where do you steal information from and steal ideas from and positive thinking from? And you learn from those people. And, and, and that's, that's an important thing. I mean, Chris Geisens, who's the CEO of Wawa, I know Chris pretty well. Uh, you know, we talk, we've talked in the past about these types of things and, and how you care for your employees. And he built a great culture at Wawa through that. So yeah. very, very, um, very important to learn from others. Very important to self-examine yourself yeah. all the time. Self-examination is important. So when you go home at night, what went well, what didn't go well today? Mm -hmm. You know, how, how did I do today? You know, what, can I, what do I recall from today that's very positive and things I can improve on? That self-awareness part of life is, becomes very important as a CEO. If you want to be a, a good leader, that, that, that's important that you're self-aware and understand your frailties and where you may have failed. I've also noticed in a lot of the responses that you've given to the questions is this level of empathy that you have. And I feel like that empathy correlates to people in the healthcare industry as well. Right. Do you think there's a correlation in where you always this empathetic? And because, because me, I, I'm just going to be honest in my natural state and core, I am not an, an empathetic, an empathetic person. Um, I'm self-aware to know that. However, I feel like it, it's something that I'm cognizantly aware of and I'm constantly trying to, to just think about the other person. Um, were you, I'm, I'm just curious, were you like me where you weren't as empathetic or do you feel as if that, that's always been, that's always been you and you've grown on top of that? And do you think, and then I guess another like five questions, do you think empathy can be trained or is it just something born within you? That's a great question. I, I think I was I was always a person that was empathetic and and, and I to me it was always putting the other person first, mm -hmm. not second. I, you know, I it, it wasn't about me; it was about the other person all the time, and I just took that into leadership, and that was important. Uh, I think it's I, I don't I think everything in leadership and a, and a behavior like empathy is learned. I, I really believe that. I think over time, and I've seen I've seen those traits. And behaviors grow in me over time because you learn more and more and more. And as I sit here, I'm 66 years old now. I didn't have it all at 42 when I took over as a CEO. So a lot of what I've accomplished has been learned over time. When I started, I thought I was going to change culture in three months. Mm -hmm. And when I left, I was still building it. So <laughs> it's amazing. You think, you know, you learn a lot over time. And through wisdom, you gain wisdom and knowledge that you, you'll get better at that. But, but. Talking to you today, um, there's empathy, there, there's, there's caring, uh, you know, the way you're building your company is, is through caring of, of people. So everybody has a different definition of empathy and caring and just, just keep working toward that goal. If you keep working and, and are, are bettering people's lives, you're doing the right thing. So the, the next point to that is you have your people, you have your culture, but now how are you able to, you know, for, for to some degree get customers and a little bit different approach for the in the healthcare industry than than what could be like a direct sales position mm -hmm. or whatever it may be. Mm -hmm. um, and you had there was an event a couple of years ago that you spoke at and it was about uh, customer loyalty. And so I'm I'm curious to see like how does how does the healthcare industry apply to customer loyalty and what are some takeaways that other businesses um, can take from what you did at Virtua to their own business mm -hmm. um, when it comes to customer loyalty. And, and mind you, the people that are listening are more so along the lines of 
entrepreneurs, startups, mm -hmm. small mm -hmm. business. So they may not have massive employees. So yeah. I'm just curious to hear your approach. Yeah, Jonathan. I think I think when I started in healthcare, there was a philosophy of build it and they will come because yeah. we cared for the sick. I mean, we were hospitals. We cared for them. We built a hospital. We filled beds. People came. You know, they were discharged. So. The, the whole issue of uh, customer loyalty wasn't a major issue. It became more of a major ma uh, major issue um, uh, in the 2000s as, as, as uh, business moved to the outpatient side. And now, now physicians and hospitals were competing, and a hospital to hospital were competing. And it wasn't a hospital-related business anymore. Now it was a healthcare business where, mm. you know, you had same-day surgery units, you had outpatient care units, uh, everybody was competing for the customer. Now you have Walmart competing for the customer and CVS and yep. Walgreens. Everybody's in the retail healthcare business now on the front end. So now you have to change your mindset. And healthcare has been slow to react to that because they were in that build it and they will come mindset for many, many years. So, you know, what I was thinking about in the early 2000s was you know, how do I build relationships with CVS, which I built one with in our, in our marketplace for, for, uh, for a customer loyalty program where they get a piece of the prescription business from Virtua and we get some of their customer base to work with in the urgent care setting, for example. So, um, and customer service and understanding customer need is crucial, you know, because now we're, healthcare is in a different place. We have to understand what does our customer want from us? You know, it's not good enough that we, that we bring them in, we have them for three days and send them home. How do you send them home? You know, how do you check up on your customer down the road so that they will be a return customer? Because with the cost of healthcare today, people are shopping healthcare. Yeah. Healthcare is a commodity that they can get an MRI anywhere. Mm -hmm. You know, they can get service anywhere. They can go to urgent care anywhere. So how do you maintain that loyalty? It's through your service and your care of the patient and making sure that we talk about empathy, the empathy is there for the, for the patient need. So like anything else, understand your customer. Marketing was never a big thing in healthcare for years. Yeah. It was advertising. Now you really have to get underneath your customer and find out what their needs are as a customer. What are they looking for? Mm -hmm. and, and gather that information and build your strategic plan around the needs of the customer. That was never done in healthcare for years. Now we have to become like more other other industries that have done that for yeah, years. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, um, I'm going to segue to an award that you won, and I think it's just interesting because uh, you you won an award about for the Six Sigma system, um, and so I'm curious to see to the people who have no idea what that is. Could you just briefly like go yeah, into uh, it, and then yeah. like how did you apply it to your life and business? Yeah, basically, um, probably was the turn, you know, the turn of the 21st century. I was around 2001. Uh, we had a business, we had a strategic relationship with General Electric at the time. Uh, and and uh, Jeff Immelt was the CEO and chair. Um, and Jeff used to run their healthcare division in his previous life. Uh, and I struck up a relationship with him. So um, we had to start in this business environment of healthcare, start digging costs out of, um, out of um, our healthcare process, if you will. So I called, it was an interesting thing, I called Jeff Immelt up on the phone up in Fairfield, Connecticut. I said, Jeff, I have an idea, I wanna sit with you 
um, and talk about um, how do we get variation out of healthcare process like you've done in manufacturing. And I said, can I have some time with you? I said, how much? I said, how much time can I have with you? And he says, well, it could be 15 minutes or an hour, depending on how interested we are about it. You know? <laughs> so I laughed and I said, I'll take my chances. And I went up to Fairfield and we sat for about an hour and a half, Jeff and I, and talked wow. about value add from GE to healthcare because they did have a big healthcare division, obviously, with, with technology. So we talked about it and Jeff told me, I'm going to really invest in Virtua and we're going to do Six Sigma and Lean, uh, which are processes that take waste and variation out of, out, of, uh, uh, out of your daily routine, if you will, patient care. So he sent two of his master black belts down and we trained a number of our team and became master black belts with GE. Hmm. Uh, and uh, we saved approximately 40, 40 million uh, over eight years of waste out of our processes. And, and we got our physicians and our clinicians to really buy in because initially people would think, well, Rich is doing this to cut cost and people because we're a people laden business. Then they found out, no, I'm doing it to improve quality and to, uh, to take out waste in the process. And, and they attached themselves to this. It's still there today. Hmm. So once a week I would hold, or once, once a month, not once a week, I would hold a Six Sigma Lean session um, and people would present their projects and I would always be there to listen to how they're, they're building their lean process or their Six Sigma process to reduce cost and, and reduce waste and improve quality. So that's where it started. Uh, and it continues today at Virtue. It's still there. That's awesome. I, I mean, I I do have three more questions, but another one popped up because mm-hmm. you you said buy-in. I think it's really difficult to get people to buy in to you what it is that you're trying to to do. Any techniques that you can uh, suggest to people to get people to to buy into what the, you're the, doing? The, the, that's the hardest thing to get people, Jonathan, to buy in. Yeah, and totally. part of it is part of it is communication. Mm. All right. And, and I always say to people, leaders, communicate, communicate, go, go out and sell the idea. Tell people why you're doing it, what, you know, and what the purpose of it is. And, and typically people are really good about it. They'll let you put your foot in the water and go forward with it. But if you're just saying we're going to do this and there's not an understanding of why you're doing it from your employee base or management base, it's not going to work mm. because they're going to push back. And, and if they realize you're out there talking to them about it and it's important and you're communicating constantly. So I would do videos. I would do uh, uh, personal engagements, uh, town hall meetings with people to engage them in the idea and talk about it and then bring guest speakers in. So laying the groundwork before you implement is crucial. You know, if you're shoving things down people's throats, mm-hmm. uh, they're, they're not, they're not going to buy it. It's yeah. like I brought the Ritz Carlton in for customer service. So we communicated why we're doing that because people think we did, we already provide great customer mm. service. What do we need the Ritz Carlton to tell us? My point to them was they have some techniques and approaches they've learned over the years with a customer base. That's important. The other thing we had to do is make sure people our clinicians, our nurses and doctors, we, they treat people as customers, not just patients. They're mm. patients and customers. Clinicians have a hard time with the word customer. 
but they are customers in this day and age because yeah. they can choose. Yeah. And yeah. I, that's, you have to educate people as to why they're considered a customer today. That's interesting. Yeah. Um, I just kind of have like, maybe not rapid fire questions, but you, <laughs> uh, but just like more fun questions. Sure. And then we'll end with just one more. Um, you're, I, I, you still do consulting, but for the most part, you're retired. Mm-hmm. Are you more of a suit guy or a jeans and t-shirt type of guy? Jeans and T-shirts. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I should have told you you're dressed up in a no, really no, nice I, suit. No, no, no. Yeah, I have something else today. That's oh. But it, but okay. normally uh, I love my jeans and T-shirt and, and very casual guy. Yeah. Uh, even going out to dinner. Uh, I mean, I don't get dressed up to go out to dinner. No. Anymore. I love being relaxed and and most places are very relaxing anyway today. But but yeah, jeans and T-shirt. Nice. Um, you're a big Eagles fan. Mm-hmm. And uh, I know it's the multiple <laughs> tweets about. Your excitement. Uh, I'm assuming you went to uh, you went to the uh, the parade as well. What was that like? Being yeah. able to see a championship here in Philadelphia. Yeah, it. Uh, I've been a 30 year season ticket holder, so my whole family are fans. Uh, and um, um, you know, winning a Super Bowl for for me was the ultimate. So even this year, as things aren't going as well, I'm still in the Super Bowl glow. So, so uh, it's been a, that was a joy of mine. I, I actually, I thought of going to Minneapolis to see the game, uh, Super Bowl, but uh, you know, I wanted to spend it with my family and my yeah. children who, and we, we were all in my daughter's house. Um, and, uh, I'm, I'm so happy I did that because we were able to share that moment together. So, you know, I, I laughed and I said, enjoy 2018 because it might be another 60 years until yeah. I realize another Super Bowl are hard to get. But it was a great moment for us as a family, you know, and, and sometimes sports brings family together, too, in a special way. So normally on a Sunday, we'll go to the game or if it's an away game, we'll meet at my house and we'll have dinner together as a family, watch the game and have fun. So even my grandkids now, I have three grandchildren are all Eagles fans. That's so we're, awesome. all, we're all in. Very cool. <laughs> My, my final question, um, when you were announced your retirement back in, in January, um, you passed the torch to a, an extremely qualified person, uh, Mr. Pullen. Right. Um, what, was, what was that like, passing the torch to somebody uh, and kind of giving your 20 years of you know, life's work, for the most part, to, to another person to kind of just go off and, and, and be even more successful, hopefully, than, yeah, than what you were yeah. able to do. And, and part of it is you as a leader did it for 22 years, but you don't have the only path to success. And you have to understand everybody approaches the leadership role differently. And Dennis will approach, he's approached it, and he'll approach it differently and will make his own uh, way as a leader. So um, it's tough to leave. It was tough for me to leave the people. That was the tough part. It wasn't tough to do the other things, to leave the, you know, to leave the, the work behind. It was tough to, to leave people. And that's still the tough part today is being removed from, from the great people of Virtua. But, but the goal is that the work, if you build a great organization, it survives the CEO. Yeah. It has to survive a CEO. And the next CEO will do just as well and, and hopefully better uh, to grow the company over time. And my follow-up question to that is, again, after 20 years of leading one of the, the most innovative and largest health institutions on, the, on at maybe the planet, at least the East Coast, what do you want to be remembered for the most? I, I think what, if, if um, I would like to be remembered for somebody that gave employees an opportunity to grow, to be educated. Uh, I made sure we had tuition, free tuition for our employees. 
uh, remember a uh, environmental service worker becoming a management engineer by going to school. Um, those are the memories and those are the things I like to be remembered for that, you know, I, I help people become better in life uh, and better at work. And, and if you if you succeed there, you succeed everywhere. Very cool. Well, Rich, thank you so much for being on the show. Okay. Uh, not that you really have anything to promote because you're just here for fun talking, but now is the time. If you ever want to pitch something and tell people about an initiative that you're going on um, or maybe a nonprofit or, or community-driven institution, if you want to just throw it, throw it out there and give a shout-out, the time is yours to... Well, I, I would just say to people, if you're interested in... Um, if you're interested in learning more about leadership and leadership development or your company is... Uh, I mean, I do speaking engagements for in, in the area of leadership, and um, I'd be happy if, for if people want to reach out to me to to be able to do that. And I'd love to do that, uh, like we're doing here uh, right now. So if cool. you're interested, just my, my uh, email address is rpmeagles52 <laughs> at gmail.com. Cool. So they can and, reach out to me. And all the links will be in the show notes so people can yep. you know, check you out and learn more about the history. Uh, Rich, thank you again for, for your time. I really appreciate it. You've been listening to Blind Entrepreneurship, brought to you by Penji. Our guest this week was Rich Miller. As mentioned in the beginning, I met Rich by accident, but totally on purpose in some way. It was a great experience to have him in the hot seat this week. And hearing from, no offense, Rich, but more seasoned executives can truly help shine a light into what you need to focus on as an entrepreneur. I hope you enjoyed today as much as I have. As we close, listeners, we will end with this. I am sending a worldwide challenge to those that are listening. This week, I'd like you to go out of your comfort zone and do something you know you need to do, but have been making excuses as to why you haven't done it yet. And when you do that one thing, tweet me at J or head over to tbeshow.com and drop a comment on this week's episode. You can find more about Rich and email him directly at rpmeagles52 at gmail.com. Again, that will be in the show notes. As for me, you can check out Penji at penji.co if you need on-demand graphic design support for your business. And head over to the podcast website, which is tbeshow.com. The podcast is on major podcast networks like Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play, iHeartRadio, and more. So check them out on your favorite network. And if you enjoyed this episode, it would mean the world to me to go ahead and tell a friend. Share it all over the interwebs if you have to. It's the only way that we can cure blindness in business. Go out there and execute your vision, everybody. Have a great rest of your day. Today's podcast feature is Justin Schenk from Growth Now Movement. No matter how successful people seem, we all have a story. We all have a rock bottom moment. And on Growth Now Movement, they dive into these stories and how to overcome them. With guests like Ed Milot, Annie Fraselli, and Fabio Viviani, and so much more. Head over to growthnowmovement.com, and here's just a brief clip as to what you can expect from Growth Now Movement by Justin Shank. What is the secret to unlocking your full potential? What makes your idols any different than you? How do you become the person you've always wanted to be in life? This is where you get all of your questions answered. My name is Justin Shank, and I sit down with some of the most epic individuals who are changing the world with their actions in business and in life. We discuss how they did it, 
why they pushed themselves, and more importantly, how they were able to focus on continuous growth to achieve their dreams. Welcome to the Growth Now Movement. 